standing for prayer today. Uh, we're blessed to have our handbell choir in our church and administer to us. And during the offertory, uh, they'll be playing Box My Heart Ever Faithful. And then for special music, after we sing the doxology, uh, they'll, be sing- uh, they'll be singing. Almost they'll be singing. I want to hear y'all sing this one too. Deep River. Don't y'all want to hear them sing Deep River? They're going to play Deep River. And so you uh, be blessed as they minister.
We're going to be in uh, several different scriptures today, but if you want to be finding Exodus chapter 33, uh, we'll be there in a little bit, and we'll be looking at a lot of others as well. You, I would encourage you, if you wanted to grab one of those care cards and use it today to jot down some references, because I'm going to give you a lot of references, and I want you to be able to have those to be able to go back and reference later. Uh, but Exodus 33... And we'll be there in just a little bit. Mark Dever, in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, tells about a story that was published in a, an English newspaper uh, a little over a hundred years ago. And the story was actually an unintentional typographical error. Basically, two stories, two separate stories, accidentally, somehow, got mixed together. One story was about a... Patent pig-killing and sausage-making machine. The other story was about a local minister, the Reverend Dr. Mudge, who is being presented with a gold-headed cane. So two stories that somehow got mixed together. And here's a portion of how that story appeared in that newspaper so long ago. Several of Reverend Dr. Mudge's friends called upon him yesterday... And after a conversation, the unsuspecting pig was seized by the hind leg and slid along a beam until it reached the hot water tank. Thereupon, he came forward and said that there were times when the feelings overpowered one. And for that reason, he would not attempt to do more than thank those around him for the manner in which such a large animal was cut into pieces was simply astonishing. The doctor concluded his remarks When the machine seized him, and in less time than it takes to ride it, the pig was cut into fragments and worked up into a delicious sausage. The occasion will will be long remembered by the doctor's friends as one of the most delightful of their lives. The best pieces can be procured for ten pence a pound, and we are sure that those who have sat so long under his ministry will rejoice that he has been treated so handsomely. Now, sometimes we get things messed up, don't we? We just make mistakes. We get stuff wrong. We get it confused. And we just, uh, we don't mean to do that. We, we just, it just happens. Now, sometimes it really doesn't matter. I mean, over a hundred years ago, the sausage still got made and Dr. Mudge still got his gold-headed cane and we still get to laugh about it many, many years later. It really didn't matter that much and... I don't know how Dr. Mudge felt about it at the time, but uh, nonetheless, it really didn't matter. But sometimes it, it does really matter. We can make mistakes in our lives that have an impact for years to come. We can make mistakes that will cost us our lives. We can make mistakes that will cost us our families. We can make mistakes that will cost us our churches. You know, right now we're looking at the theme of church matters. And today I want to impress upon your heart something that we cannot get mixed up about. We cannot get confused about it. We cannot get it messed up. We we can't get mixed up what we're going to talk about today. And that is the purpose of the church. In other words, why does the church exist? Now, don't answer aloud and. And don't tell anybody near you, but 
If you were asked that question, if after the service, if we sat down over a cup of coffee or a soft drink and I said to you, tell me, why does the church exist? What would you say? Chuck Swindoll made a list of some possible answers that people would give to that question. Why does the church exist? Let me give you some of the possible answers. Maybe yours is listed here. Some would say it exists to present the gospel to the lost. Some would say, well, it exists to have regular worship and instruction. Others would say, well, it's because it's there to bring hope to the hurting or to be a lighthouse in the community or to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Others might say, well, the church exists to declare and support wholesome values, things like the home and Moral and ethical purity and the dignity of individuals and godly living and healthy marriages and integrity and et cetera, et cetera. Some might say, well, it exists to send the gospel around the world through missionary efforts or to reach today's youth and, and challenge them to make Christ the center of their lives, their choice of a career and their future plans. Some would say, no, it exists to pray. Or to build up the saints or to comfort the grieving, to encourage the lonely, to feed the hungry, to minister to the handicapped, to help the aged, the abused, the confused. Some would say, no, 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 but the church exists to, to stimulate action and involvement in critical social issues of our day. Others might say, well, it's there to model a standard of authentic righteousness. That's why the church exists. And some would say, no, it's there to teach the scriptures with a view toward godly living. Now, as wonderful as all those things are that I just listed, and we certainly want to be doing all those things at Red Hill Baptist Church. We're, we're not against those things. We want to be doing those things. They still do not answer the big why. Why does the church exist? What is the primary thing the church is supposed to do? What is the ultimate purpose of the church? Let's bring it home to us. Why does Red Hill Baptist Church exist? What is the ultimate purpose of Red Hill Baptist Church? What is the primary thing? Well, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It's the same reason you exist. It's your ultimate purpose in life as well. You see, the church exists and you exist for one primary reason and one primary purpose. Listen carefully. To bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. Now, the Bible is filled with a theme of glory. And I want you to jot down some of these references I'm going to share with you. One I know you're familiar with, 1 Corinthians 10.31. You may have it memorized, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Listen to 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, so we're speaking, we're ministering. Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in, listen, all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter four, verse 11. Revelation 411 says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Matthew 516 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Romans chapter 15 verses five and six. Romans 15, five and six. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We keep going. Second Thessalonians one, 11 and 12. Second Thessalonians one, 11, 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop for a moment because I'm fairly certain that probably many here today. When you answer that question in your own mind and heart, you thought the church's primary thing and main purpose was the Great Commission and seeing souls saved. Well, let me say very carefully here, even the Great Commission, even the salvation of souls is for the glory of God. Listen to Ephesians. These are all in chapter one. Ephesians one. Listen to five and six. Having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. You drop down to verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Drop down to verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Yes, Jesus came to save us. Yes, we're to be about the Great Commission. Yes, we're to give out the gospel. Yes, we're to win lost souls for the glory of God. Don't miss that. You see, Jesus came to save, but he came to glorify the father in that. Listen to his words. John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. John 12, 27, 28. My soul. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John chapter 17, verses four and five. John 17, four and five. I have Jesus says, I I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. And now, O father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was over and over and over and over and over again. It's about God's glory. Do you realize, beloved, that even our sin, the reason that we need salvation is because our sin is an affront to the holiness and glory of God. See if you can finish this verse for me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Even our sin is an affront to his glory. Now, listen, the very fact that God created us, the very fact that God created the universe in the first place is for his glory. I bet you know this verse, Psalm 19, 1. Psalm 19, 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Even as believers in Christ with our physical bodies, he even wants us to glorify him in our bodies. First Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says this. First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. By the way, the price is the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The purpose of the church, the ultimate priority of the church, the main thing is the glory of God. That's the main thing. But that brings another question. And that is, well, preacher, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? We have to understand a couple of things. I want you to hang with me here. We have to understand that we do not add to God's glory in any way, shape or form. God is glorious in himself. Maybe you remember Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter six, verse one. And in chapter six, verse three, it says, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, we have to understand this is called the intrinsic glory of God, the intrinsic glory of God. You say, what's that all about? Listen to how one theologian put it. God's intrinsic glory is a part of his being. It is not something that was given to him. If men and angels had never been created, God would still possess his intrinsic glory. If no one ever gave him any glory, any honor, any praise, he would still be glorious as he is. That is intrinsic glory. That is the glory of God's nature. It is a combination. It's a manifestation of all his attributes. See, God is glorious. God is full of glory. We don't add to him. We don't take away from him. We don't diminish his glory. God is glorious. Now, you're in Exodus 33. Look with me about Moses said to the Lord. I want you to catch just a vision of how glorious our God is. Exodus chapter 33. Find verse 18. This is Moses speaking to the Lord. And in Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses makes a request of God. Look at verse 18 of Exodus 33. And he said, Moses says, please show me your what? Your glory. Show me your glory. Verse 19. Then he said, this is God. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my what passes by my glory passes by that I will I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Remember singing that old hymn talking about the cleft of the rock. Here's what we're talking about. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, I want you to get a picture here of Moses. And God says, listen, I'm going to make my glory pass by, but I am so glorious. 
I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And only as I pass by will I move back. You can see the back parts, but you'll not see the front. You'll not see my face and live. I am so glorious. You would not be able to live. We know Moses knew something of the glory of God. I mean, when he spent time with God, he would come down to the church of Israel and what? His face literally shone. He put a veil over his face because he glowed as he'd been in some of the presence of the glory of God. Now, God is fully glorious. Please understand that. We cannot add anything to him or take anything away from him. So if that be the case, what does it mean then that we're to glorify God? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If any man speak, if any man minister, let him do it to the glory of God. Over and over again, what does it mean? It means to magnify him. It means to exalt him. It means to reflect him. Somebody said glorifying God. They defined it this way. Glorifying God is making God look good before a godless world. Making God look good before a godless world. Listen, it's not making him good. It's not making him. He's already good. But, but it, it's displaying that goodness with our lives. It's exalting him. It's magnifying him. You see, one explained it so simply. Basically, whatever we do and say communicates our opinion of God to others. Whatever we do or say communicates our opinion of God to him and to others. All we do either brings him glory or brings him dishonor. So we're not adding to God's glory. We couldn't if we wanted to. We're not diminishing God's glory. We couldn't if we wanted to. We're simply displaying, reflecting some of God's great glory in our lives. We're making much of him. We're all about him. We're lifting him up above everything else and everyone else. You see, it's all about him and his glory. Now, listen. This church exists to bring glory to God. That's why we exist, to bring glory to God. When the choir is standing here and they begin to sing, they're to sing to the glory of God. When you're keeping nursery, God bless you. Thank you for doing that. But you know why you're doing that? To bring glory to God. When you're in Sunday school, you're to bring glory to God. The weekday children's ministry during the week, they're here to bring glory to God. We worship. We're here to glorify God. When we pray, when you usher, deacons, when you do your ministry, WMU, Brotherhood, Forever Young Club, when you serve on a committee, when you're on a team, when you're doing anything here, anything at all, it's to be about His glory. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. From, from, the, from the thing you think, that's just so small. I mean, all, all I did was, was, all I did was go get some, some, some cups and place them in the bathroom. All I did was, it was get those towels from the, from the baptistry and wash them and put them away. Listen, that's to be done for God's glory. It's all about His glory. So that begs the question, how do we glorify God? We know what the glory of God is, is as much as we can. We, we can't exhaust that. We know about His intrinsic glory. Uh, we understand the purpose of our lives and the church is to glorify him. So, so now, how do we glorify him? Well, how much time do you have to spare? I mean, we, there's a lot that could be said, isn't there? We could be here all day. Because it says what in 1 Corinthians 10.31? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
whatever it is, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It covers everything, eating, drinking, sleeping, everything. We're going to limit ourselves. Aren't you glad about that? We're going to limit ourselves. We're going to go home in a few minutes. We're going to limit ourselves and look at what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. If you want to go there, please. John chapter 15. How do we glorify God? I want you to see John chapter 15. We'll look at one verse in John 15. They give you the background. This is about the vine and the branches. I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. We're to abide in the vine, so forth, if you study the passage before. But I want you to notice John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus is speaking. And in John 15, 8, he says, By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Now we have the goal. The goal is to glorify the Father, to glorify God, right? And Jesus says in order to glorify the Father, we're to do what? We're to bear much fruit. Now the question is, what kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, two main fruits come to mind. There's the fruit of character and there's the fruit of... Of converts. Let's talk about the fruit of character for a moment. We think about the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. I'll read them for you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We yield to the Holy Spirit's working. We allow Him to work and move in our hearts and lives. And He brings about these wonderful uh, uh, fruit, this wonderful fruit here, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of character being made like Christ. But there's also the fruit of converts. That is seeing people turn from their sin to faith in Christ. Romans 1.13 comes to mind. Romans 1.13 says, now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So there's the fruit of character. That is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit working in our lives, making us more like Jesus. There's the fruit of converts. Our taking the gospel out, the Great Commission, and seeing people turn from their sin to Christ. So we bear much fruit. Character. And converts. Now, I want to bring in our mission statement for a moment. It's been around for a while now. I hope you remember what it is. The three G's. And there's other ways we could have said this. And, but we chose this. Glorify God. Grow more like Jesus. Go with the gospel. That's a mission statement. It kind of reminds us very quickly what we're about here. That's our mission. Let's see how that fits in with John chapter 15, verse 8. We said the goal was what? Glorify God. The first point of our mission statement is what? Glorify God. We said that Jesus said us to bear much fruit. Two fruits come to mind. The fruit of the Spirit or character and the fruit of converts, that is, people coming to Jesus. The second point of our mission statement is grow more like Jesus. That fits nicely right in with the character that is Christian growth. 
And then converts falls under our third point, which is this. Go with the gospel. That is seeing people turn from their sin and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a very simple way. And of course, that is one way and we could word it really. But we wanted to to boil it down to help us to understand exactly what we're about here. The reason we put glorify God first is because that's where it goes. We do that first and primary. But anything else we do here, it's all about his glory. As we're growing more like Jesus, we're doing that for the glory of God. As we go with the gospel, we're doing it for the glory of God. Now, all of us need to consider personally in our own lives whether or not we're glorifying God. See, we cannot glorify God in ourselves at the same time. I think about what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30, these words, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, that is Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. And that's exactly what happened in John's life. And so I want to give us some practical help, and we're almost done. What I'm about to give you is applicable for here at church and in your own life. It's a simple question that can serve like a filter. You know what a filter does, right? It, it, it clarifies and cleans things. And this is going to serve as a filter in your life and in the life of our church. And you can ask this question about anything that you're about to do, anything that you're doing. Doesn't matter. And, and that's pretty broad in anything. Because that's what we're to do. Anything, everything, whatever you do to the glory of God. Here's the question. Very simple. Are you ready? You can ask yourself this question honestly. Is this about my glory or God's glory? Is this about my glory or God's glory? Is this about my glory or God's glory? Would you say it out loud with me? Is this about my glory or God's glory? Say it again. Is this about my glory or God's glory? Ask yourself that honestly and answer it honestly. See, before you teach that Sunday school class next week, you just stop for a moment and say, is this about my glory or God's glory? Before you sing that song and that special, just stop and ask yourself, is this about my glory or God's glory? See, we can't glorify ourselves in God, too. It's either or. We're not going to take away from from glorifying God. It's about His glory. Before you fight to have your way in a matter, whether it's your personal life or church life, you want your way, stop and ask this question. Is this about my glory or God's glory? See how clarifying that is? When you really stop and ask that in your life, what a filter it can be. You see, remember, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, all of it, to the glory of God. And of course, I'll just throw this in. If you can't do it for the glory of God... I'd recommend don't do it. You see, because the glorious thing about it is our God is so gracious and good 
that we can live our lives in every element, eating, drinking, all of it, to the glory of God. We can entertain ourselves to the glory of God. See how that begins to help us to filter and see that it's all about his honor and his glory. We can eat to his glory and drink to his glory and recreate and work and vacate and vocational. All of it fits in his glory. Now, I want to say this and we're going to close. Why does this church exist? To glorify God. That's why this church exists. Did we take the gospel out? Yes. Praise God. We do that to the glory of God. Did we do those things that Chuck Swindoll talked about? Yes. Praise God. To his honor and glory we do them. But it always comes back to his honor and his glory. So use that question in your life, in the life of our church. Is this about my glory or God's glory? How would you answer that in your own life? The way you're living right now, is it for your glory or God's? Father, you are glorious. Thank you. We praise you for your glory. We cannot add to it, nor can we subtract from it. But Lord, we sure want to reflect it. We want to magnify and exalt you in this place. And I pray this would bring clarity to Red Hill Baptist Church like never before. I pray it would bring, bring clarity to our personal lives like never before in our families. To really use this filter to see, is this about my glory or yours, Father? Father, help us to always live And all that we do for your honor and your glory. Now, I pray as we close this service. I know that's for your glory that you sent Christ and he died. We know that salvation is for your glory. And I pray if anybody here today does not know Jesus, that you draw them to yourself and save them. I pray for believers that might be struggling today, that you would just draw them to yourself. and Help them to catch a fresh glimpse of their glorious God. I pray for each one as we labor in our lives and in the church. That we will be honest with ourselves. May there be no many kingdoms here. Little castles we build to exalt ourselves. May it never be about us. But always about you. Help us to be like John the Baptist. Lord you increase. As we decrease for your glory, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is to God be the glory. Great things he have done. And as we sing, the altar is open. You need to be saved today. If God is calling you, if you need to come and pray, we would invite you to do that. And keep that question before you this week. Maybe put it on a card. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your mirror. Wherever you look a lot. And just ask yourself this week as you're going about your life, is this about my glory or God's glory? And let God use you for his glory. Number four, the altar is open as we stand and sing, to God be the glory, great things he hath done.